Hello, dear starshines. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see everybody. Uh, welcome to today's lunchtime chats. Uh, for those of you who are new, my name is Christina and I am a acceleration expert. And we are here to talk about those topics and issues that are significant for us starseeds, way showers, and new paradigm visionaries. We have capacities and abilities that our larger human family don't necessarily embrace. Therefore, we have extremely unique perspectives to the kinds of challenges that we face on a daily basis. So I am here to do to the best of my ability um, to offer a liberated perspective to these challenges and um, and hopefully you guys um, get some also some inspiration out of this as well. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we'll go ahead and give a couple minutes for our crew to get on board. Hey, Beverly, good to see you. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, if you guys uh, want to contribute into the kinds of topics that we bring into these conversations, I encourage you to engage in uh, in our communities. We have a community on Telegram called Multidimensional Human, and it's a beautiful uh, community of starshines. And, uh, uh, and that's a great place to post things and have conversations. Um, and that's, you know, when I, uh, I scroll through and I don't necessarily engage a lot in commenting, but I do I am engaged in thoughts and in spirit in the kinds of conversations that are being had there and the different things that really jump out at me as something important to talk about, I'll bring into these chats. So, um, so there's that telegram group to, to, to engage. And there's also our Facebook group called rise of the multidimensional human. And that is also a wonderful community of star shines where you can engage in, in deeper topics on deeper levels that you like to engage on, you know, on the levels that you like to engage in. And, uh, and it's a, a very respectful community. So it's not like a typical, you know, you know what I'm talking about, the <laughs> toxic uh, social media stuff. Um, everybody there is, um, is uh, uh, specifically selected to be allowed in that group. There's a lot of discernment used. So, um, for example, if you get invited into that group and you don't um, answer any of our entry questions and you don't re answer any of our personal messages, you don't get into that group. If we're not worth your time to engage, to let us know who you are, then you know, you're not going to give that, the people in that group the time and um, respect that they deserve. So, um, so that is a major condition to the um, getting let into the rise of the multidimensional human group. You really need to engage with us and let us know who you are and what you're interested in and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, let's see. Then we also have, of course, our other social media outlets such as Instagram, Multidimensional Accelerator, and um, uh, YouTube, right? Life Body Academy. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, for um, being a part of this conversation. Tasha, good to see you, darling. It seems like it's been a while. Maybe it's just me. And hey, Susan, good to see you too. So nice to so nice to have you. All right, 
Yes, yay, you get to catch me live. Woohoo! So we have interesting things to talk about today. Um, I have one little side note that I want to discuss just a little bit, and that's really because um, it's a topic that people are, are bringing right to my doorstep, and it's come to my doorstep multiple in multiple directions. So I feel like it is something that I do need to talk about, and that is the the whole drama around um, the whole the Dalai Lama thing, right? So um, people are asking me, um, when I think about that, and I did make a little bit of a comment in the group because um, a dear friend of mine, um, Sherry, was um, was engaging in that conversation. And, you know, uh, I have so I have most actually most of you I've met in person, not everybody, but just about all of you I've met in person. And um, my dear sister, Sherry, who I love a lot, she um, just is very uh, direct and says it the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, she really puts herself out there. So when I can support her in, you know, so she's not the lone voice, um, I do my best to do that. So, so in that, in that moment, I felt like I wanted to, you know, just back her up a bit on, on what she was saying, because it was very shocking, um, the revelation. And uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then I want to talk about um, us star seeds, way showers, and visionaries, another level in which we can influence and impact humanity with our very beingness. Okay, so I want to talk about that. And uh, I want to go deep into it because we are, as these veils are lifting, 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 the very space we hold inside of ourselves has a much bigger ripple effect than it ever has before. And so I want to talk about that and talk about the kinds of things that, um, that perhaps impulse us to hold a toxic space inside of ourselves when that's not actually what we need to be doing or want to be doing. So, um, so that is, that's, a, that's an important piece for us each to, to participate in because we are responsible for ourselves we are responsible for each other in a, in a certain sense, but most importantly, we're responsible for ourselves. And uh, so I want to just talk about that, perhaps inspire you, um, motivate you, um, energize you <laughs> in that direction. All right. So let's go back. Let's go back to that whole controversy with the Dalai Lama. Right. So those of you guys that don't know what I'm talking about and believe me, I would not have any clue about this if I wasn't tagged and flagged and <laughs> texted about this from multiple people. Evidently, there was a situation where there was a public appearance um, with the Dalai Lama and he was being there's a young boy being introduced to him. I'm not sure what the context is, but it looks like he was an Indian boy. And, um, and the Dalai Lama did something really strange. He stuck his tongue out um, to the kid and invited him to suck his tongue, which, you know, to the Western world, that's definitely odd. Um, so there was some, from what I know, or what I've seen, actually, I don't know anything, right? <laughs> what I've seen, there's a lot of, there's conflicting reports about this. Um, one of the reports that um, I listened to was NPR, which for the longest time I thought was a neutral station, but because of all the shenanigans that came on, I realized that they're just, they're deeply, they're heavily programmed, heavily censored, heavily slanted, way, way more than, than I ever imagined. So, so, uh, but they do have a way of presenting things 
um, they have a very interesting way of presenting things. So, so that, that was the, um, the news that I tapped into. And, uh, and one of the comments was, is that it was socially like in Tibetan culture, that's not an unusual thing to do. And way, whether that's true or not, sure. Um, I don't think this boy was a, a from Tibetan culture. I believe he was Indian. He was an Indian boy. So, um, doing something that was really specific to one's culture like that, you know, is weird. But anyway, let me talk about this because this is really controversial. And I've posted things here and there about the Dalai Lama. Um, and that was not in a favorable light. And, and, you know, it's, it's difficult for people to accept because we all have a story about who this being is and how he came into power, you know, to be in the, um, power is not the right word, um, how he came to be the figurehead for the uh, Tibetan, for a particular sect of Tibetan Buddhism. And, uh, and so it's almost unimaginable that there could be any maliciousness or malign, anything maligned in regards to him. Um, but what I want to say is that um, there is evidence out there that says the contrary. So I'm just going to run you through the different kinds of evidence that has presented itself to me. And, uh, and this is why I feel like it's realistic to, to think that to have second thoughts about this particular leader. Okay. So I'll go from the latest to the earliest. <laughs> so, um, there, was a post on the rise group by dear sister Christina um, with a K that um, was a video of a trauma therapist. And she talked about what it looks like, how, how um, spiritual leaders and how people in authority in the sphere of youth um, guidance and mentorship and stuff, how these um, situations come to be. And she watched the particular incident that we're talking about with the whole tongue sticking out thing. And she gave her rundown of, yes, this is a um, abusive event. This is a event because he is a person of authority speaking to a young child and the young child doesn't know what to do when they present something, when presented with something that they are uncomfortable with. So when you have a person in authority, a pastor, a priest, a school counselor, a, a camp counselor, you know, anything like that, and you're put into these situations, most often the child does acquiesce because they're confused. They don't know what's going on. Okay. And she indicates that this is the most common way into um, more extreme abusive, um, um, more extreme abuse of our youth. And, and I can resonate with that because, you know, when you're young, you don't really understand. I remember times when I really didn't understand and I just went with it because I thought that was what you do um, more than a few times. You know, it wasn't until I became a teenager and became really snarky and with a bad attitude did I realize, oh, wait a minute, I got some power here. <laughs> you know what I mean? What I think actually can shift the boat, what I think can actually impact the world around me. So um, I went down that path of rebellion and um, anger. And you know what I mean? I definitely challenged anything and everything that anybody tried to push on me. 
especially if they told me it was a rule and I had to follow the rule. My rebellious side was like, dude, by the end of the day, I'm going to have that rule, rule broken 10 times over, you know, and it's, it's the era before cell phones. So <laughs> nowadays I might have, you know, with the cell phone, I would have been, and I'll take pictures, right? <laughs> but anyway, so it took that level inside of myself to even get out of that groove of, of how heavy that influence is of our of our leaders, of our mentors in, in that youth sphere. So um, when I heard the video and it's posted in the Rise of the Multidimensional Human Group, if you guys want to check it out. Um, in that video, I really can relate to what she was talking about. And then you can also connect this into all the other abuses that have happened to children within the spiritual sphere and um, educational sphere. You know what I mean? When you have a mentor or someone of authority um, looking over um, a group of children. So there's, there's that piece of evidence, right? And it could be cultural misunderstanding. This is just one piece of evidence, whatever. All right. But then I had um, a dear sister Starshine in our own group um, confirm something that I posted a while ago. And that was that um, I posted a while ago in the Telegram group and it was um, evidence and accusations about the Dalai Lama being a Chinese slash CIA plant. Okay, he was installed in office, not rightfully, he was, um, you know, the, the, the manipulation forces at B's leveraged the power that they had to put him in, to install him in that position. And of course, there's always an agenda behind that. So I posted that and um, dear sister Starshine, who has studied in, in Buddhist, in uh, Tibetan Buddhism for many, many years, confirmed that her teacher, I believe it was her teacher, um, also had similar similar comments about about the Dalai Lama. So there's that there there there's that little piece of cooperation. And many years before that, I had a dear friend. I'm not going to say her name because she's still in the order. Um, she's she was she's a Buddhist nun in the Bodhisattva order, and she also told me things about and, and this was in the this was in the um in the context of she was explaining to me why she chose the order that she chose to join um as as a monastic and uh because i asked her you know what about what about uh tibetan buddhism and you know because her vibe is really close to that and but she was in something she was in the bodhisattva order which is of course different and anyway she explained her journey and then she also um shared with me that you know um in the deep monastic buddha buddhism world um he is not considered the rightful leader of the orders and uh and then she went on to explain that the that his specific order are um awful absolutely awful in, in their record of how they treat women and how they treat the nuns particularly and the nuns i guess it's really well known that they you know they endure really intense abuse um from the monks in his order. So I thought I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked by that. And I was like, wait a minute. 
<laughs> this is like completely challenging my idea about who this man is, you know, and, uh, you know, because he's so worshipped and glorified and, um, you know, is, is painted as an, a really magnificent leader who really rises to these challenges and faces a really difficult time. And in which case, which was the invasion, invasion of the Chinese into Tibet. And, um, and of course, there's, you know, issues with Nepal as well. So, so that was another level of evidence that happened for me. And that was, this was many years ago, gosh, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago. And then I started to realize, you know, there's a lot of narratives that are going on, and especially in the movie sector. And, and please hear me out here. You know, movies are made for lots of reasons. Yes, to make money, to tell a story, to influence the narratives, all this stuff. But movies are also made to act as a release valve to something that has been suppressed. You know, that collective field, the energy builds, builds, builds. And I've talked about this before. And eventually, you know, it has to get a release valve here and there. And I remember that there are several, several movies that depict um, either Nazis or some other mysterious invaders going into the sacred temples in Tibet and taking their artifacts and with a specific purpose of opening these interdimensional portals and pulling through a, an entity. There are many, many movies that have this in it. I mean, even Indiana Jones, right? The first Indiana Jones movie was about the Nazis getting a hold of a sacred artifact and opening up a portal just to explore, just cause, but there's others as well. Um, and, and I realized, you know, the reason why it's repeated over and over again in these different movies is that there, it's a release valve. There's, it's releasing something that has been kept very secret. And it's not, and remember, the Nazis never went away, guys. They just, they just blended in with, you know, with different, um, with other countries. There's a lot that went to South America, and there's a lot that went to the United States. I mean, the, really, the higher echelons of the whole um, Nazi order, you know, they were not, you know, they did not do go through the trials of the Hague. They they got um, reassigned identities and re, you know, got submerged into the different um, ruling classes, scientific classes of, of different countries. So, so the agenda that they held never died. The true secrets and treasures that they collected, as in the mystical treasures, never were recovered. Okay? So, you know, there, there's more, there's evidence here about this, right? Okay. So there, there's that kind of evidence. And then there's also the other reason why they make movies, and that is to propagate a narrative. And the narrative that comes to my mind is the movie um, Seven Years in Tibet. I don't know if you guys remember that movie with Brad Pitt. See, and he's another one of those, another one of those guys, you know, that, that is connected into the system. So, um, so that movie, the narrative of that movie also brings me to a place of, of questioning. Um, because it was a narrative that teed up a particular movement, you know, um, members um, Save Tibet. That was a major uh, campaign. There was lots and lots of money raised, billions of dollars raised over many years um, for that cause. 
Um, where did that money go? What happened to it? Nobody knows. <laughs> Nobody's asking. They just want to be dedicated. You know what I mean? They want to um, support the cause. And then you have the fall of the sacred temples, the sacred ancient Buddhist temples. And this is not just the Tibetan temples that fell. Okay. The Taoist temples, the, um, the temples in China, in Japan, in, you know, in, um, in um, Nepal, uh, Tibet, there are many countries that had ancient, ancient temples that all fell. When I say fell, that means they were taken over. The order that was maintaining those vortexes ejected, okay, and then things were taken and or destroyed or cemented over, stuff like this. This happened very significantly and documented in, um, in China for sure, especially the most ancient uh, uh, sacred Taoist temples, okay? Um, and then there's also stories about this happening throughout Tibet, Nepal. Um, there was a master builder by the name of, um, oh shoot, what was his name? French guy. Keep wanting to call him Francois, but that's not his name. Um, shit, shoot, shoot, shoot. All right, hopefully it'll come back to me what his name is. Um, they did a sacred journey through Nepal. He was a master builder and he understood the sacred art of ancient temple building and the cultivation and proliferation of high level consciousness through the vortexes and the portals that these temples were, were meant to keep. And he um, report, he took a group of people and reported that the temples of Nepal, all, um, all the ones that they visited, they were all, um, they were all um, either shut down or inverted and reversed. Okay. This was his expert opinion. And he's been doing that, th th that particular work for decades and decades and decades. He's, he's been to many, many, many sacred sites all around the planet. And this was um, one of his specialties. And I, I was really surprised because you would think Nepal, or I, I thought Nepal was one of those places that still had, was still pure in a lot of ways, but that's not the truth. That, that's not the truth. And uh, his report was, you know, and he, he's able to show, you see how this is and that is, that this is, does this to this energy, this does that to that energy, and the vortex that should be moving this way is now doing the opposite, or um, this expansive energy is one of, that is transmitting enslavement programs, you know, stuff like this. He's very, very um, deep in the know around the, those things. So I was really surprised to hear it, but at the same time, fast forward many years, I'm realizing it's not surprising at all, right? <laughs> so so, um, so that's another level of evidence that the highest keepers of these orders fell, okay? They were hijacked. That's, that's how these temples were able to be taken over on an energetic level, on these different levels. That's how they're able to be, um, the vortices and the grid works and all this stuff were able to be hijacked was because the highest keepers on a spiritual, on the spiritual planes fell. Okay. So that's the list of evidence that I have to share with you guys for you to decide where you are on this topic. I don't, I'm not going to tell anybody where they should be because I don't know. I wasn't there and I only, um, you know, have my intuitive sense. And for me personally, my intuitive senses I listen to and I have faith in, but I don't expect you guys to. I don't, you know, I don't expect other people to take my word for it. Um, definitely use your own truth compass, okay, when it comes to these things. Um, 
what's brilliant about the synchronicity of all this is that all these people who are trauma-informed therapists, they can actually see the dynamic, what it looks like in the public eye, this kind of thing. And they're bringing awareness to this for the mass populations. And most importantly, it's about, you know, how really putting a perspective, how vulnerable our children are, how influenced our youth are by the different people in their lives that have authority. You know, that could be spiritual authority. That could be, you know, mentorship, like a coach or sports. It could be a really great teacher or not so great teacher. It could, you know, there's so many um, facets within a child's life that um, these people really heavily influence them. And, you know, children, when you develop a good rapport, they love you. They love you. I remember when I was young, I had an amazing teacher. I loved her. I really loved her. She was fabulous. So, so our kids love these people. Okay. These kids love these people. And unfortunately, they get put in situations where that gets taken advantage of. And some people really do take advantage of that and steer our kids down, you know, a path that is not in their best interest. You know, it could be sexual stuff, but it also could be just poisoning their attitudes and their minds towards certain things. And I feel like this is one of the reasons why I was so driven when my kids were young that they stay with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to be the influencer in their lives. I don't want all these other people, you know, like the daycares and the schools. It's like that wasn't that didn't sit right with me because I knew I was not in alignment with a lot. Most of those people. OK, so so um, this is a in a lot of ways, the way these trauma therapists are looking at the situation and sharing about it. This is an um, this is an amazing blessing because this is a potential for parents to wake up to understand that they really need to be involved in their kids' lives and who is in their lives, right? Who has influence within their lives, you know? And and to talk about it, to ask questions, to see how things are, to really connect with your kid and understand what kinds of things are happening in their lives, what's influencing them. How, how did their day go? You, you know what I mean? Now, when they're young, they're more likely to talk about their day than when they get older. As soon as they get into like, you know, 11, 12, 13, then, you know, that's like pulling teeth, getting them to talk about their day. But until then, they want to know. They want you to know. They, you know, they are really willing to share with you as long as, you know, you're a respectful kind of listener and you and you they feel better having talked to you. You know, as long as that's the kind of relationship, then it's really, really worth it for them and for you. So you can get a, a bead of what's happening for them in their lives. Okay, so moving on from that, if, if you guys have anything you want to add, if there's other evidence that you know of, you know, definitely put it in the comments. This, you know, this will help people um, either confirm, corroborate, you know, or just get people to think, you know. I think th being able to think differently than how you have in the past about something is a really important thing. It's, uh, it's a sign of your willingness to grow, to change, to revisit. Oh, boy. Okay, so dear sister uh, Laurel has something to say. She says, the Dalai Lama was born Muslim and was appointed Dalai Lama 
not in the traditional way, very suddenly. It was well known his brother runs guns for the CIA. Needles in a very large, dark haystack. Holy crap, I didn't know any of that. Is that true? What? Who's his brother? <laughs> See, this is how the rabbit hole begins. <laughs> Who's his brother? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you, Laurel, for that piece of information. That's very interesting. You guys, you can research that for those of you that are really good with your research legs. And I would, and it, please, whatever you come up with, share in our group, share in the Telegram group or in the Facebook group. We want to hear you. We want to hear from you. What did you find when you researched that information? Holy moly. Jeez, oh man. See, just when you think you're, <laughs> you have a clue and then it gets, you know, the rabbit hole gets richer. Yes, it's true. And there's much more. Wow. 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 Okay. Oh, Beverly says, careful what you say here. LOL. That's true. That's true. I know we've been shadow banned multiple times, more than once. Jeez, oh man. Can't help it. We just go there, right? <clears throat> All right, let me get to this next piece, because this next piece is more about what you could be doing, what I could be doing, what all of us could be doing to magnify our impact within our collective field. So that's magnify our, our impact with our loved ones, the people close in our lives, but also the, the, um, the, the larger community, okay? Because I know a lot of us, you know, we know we're here for a purpose. We know we're here for a reason. But so far, the different kinds of ways of leadership and way showership maybe don't resonate with us or we're just too, too, you know, n not ready to make that kind of step forward. OK, so I want to talk to you about these pieces, because what I'm seeing more and more and more and I have to thank my dear, my dear beloved Starshine for showing this to me, because I mean, this is this is really profound. Um, you know who you are. Uh, uh, there's a space that we hold inside of ourselves. And, and because of the veils have lifted, lifted, lifted as much as they are, this space we hold inside of ourselves has a profound, deep impact in our realities, plural. So it's not just the 4D collective reality. It's also the realities, the multidimensional realities within our biosuit. It's the realities within the telluric realm. It's the realities connected into the fey and elemental worlds. It's the realities connected into the Sasquatch realms. Okay. The kind of space we hold inside of ourselves has a profound impact on all these spheres of existence. And I don't mean it just anecdotally. I mean, quite literally a direct impact. Okay. So, and this is why I believe a lot of the um, elemental realm beings, the, 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 the she, the Deodine, the, the Sasquatch, they are coming forward to help us remember how to properly behave when we're within all these spheres, when all these spheres and fields are open, they're, they're putting a lot of effort into helping us remember how to properly be in right relationship with all these spheres when they're open and active. And 
the um, the piece I want to bring forward is how we be in an everyday way, not just when all these fields are open, if because if because that's different when we are when we are um, when we practice how we be in right relationship within ourselves on a daily basis within the chaos of this human collective, those moments, those opportunities, when those other veils other spheres overlap and the the portals and doorways with these other realms open and these beings are now sharing space with us, we are already prepared. We are already trained. We are already um, in harmony and alignment to be able to engage with these beings and really um, uh, uh, show up for the opportunity. Okay. So we can show up and make the most out of the opportunity. Okay. That's why I want to bring this to you because there's things we could be doing in our, in our everyday human chaos to help cultivate the inner strengths of how we be inside of ourselves. I'm reading some of these comments here. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. So there's some more in these comments about the Dalai Lama. Um, and there's, there's, um, yeah, there's a few things in here uh, you guys are going to want to read potentially. Um, this is true, what she's talking about, that um, I don't want to go backwards because I'm on a beat here. But um, I do, if you guys um, are want some more evidence to collect, let's say, um, definitely look at the comments here. Um, this is from Dear Sister Laurel. Welcome, Darren. Glad you made it. Yeah, you know, I have a hard time keeping track of time myself. If I didn't have an alarm telling me I, it's time to do the chats, I'd, I'd forget all about it. <laughs> you know, because I don't even know what day it is most of the time. Okay, getting back to. So our everyday world, our everyday experience, what we could be doing to really take full-on responsibility of the space we hold inside of ourselves. So I feel like the big piece, the really big piece to address is enslavement. What does enslavement mean to you? What does enslavement mean to you? Okay. What kinds of things come to your mind when you think of people being a slave? Okay. Is it... A slave in the literal sense, like um, like uh, sex slavery or or uh, physical labor slavery, is it is it like that? Um, is it other? Does it go into other realms for you? Because I sat with this. What does enslavement mean to me? And really, it means you know some place inside of our, my life where I don't have sovereignty, where I don't have command of how I spend my bandwidth, how I spend my life force energy. Uh huh. Doing things we don't like. All right. So uh, Beverly says, doing things we don't like. That to her, that that's enslavement. No possibility of freedom. That's what Laurel um, chimes in with. Darren, to me, time is really speeding up. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah, <laughs> there's a little lag here with that one. Okay. So, <clears throat> so I sat with this um, for some time this morning. 
and I had a very unique um, space this morning to be sitting in because I was in a place of uh, lots of joy, but also uh, uh, uncomfortable vulnerability. And then also contemplating this, what does enslavement mean? Um, because, you know, I realized that it can be so subtle. We don't even, we don't even know. And I had a, and we can get so used to it. We don't even know. Okay. I had a conversation with a dear starshine. Was it? Yes. Yeah. Yesterday. And, uh, and, you know, from the outside, look at in, looking in, you would think this, 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 this woman has it all, you know, uh, a wife, a, a family, stay at home mom has really nice house, nice things, lots of privilege in so many different ways. But the poor, this, this poor dear sister starshine was miserable, not happy, not well, not able to do the things she wants to do in her life. Okay. She quite literally was enslaved, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I saw this after we got off the call. I realized she's enslaved on all these levels and she has no idea, no idea how she contributed or even created it. Okay. Okay. Susan chimes in with enslavement is where my, where my will is not recognized. Okay. That's a good one. It's interesting. You guys are keeping it in the mythic like that. You're not being, you know, being really specific, <laughs> which just shows on the level of which you guys are operating on. That's all. That's all. I mean, you're in a, you're an expanded level of understanding here. Okay. So I was able to break this down. What is the feel? And, and I realized that across the board, especially in the West, but across the board, humanity is definitely enslaved financially. Okay. And, and that takes so many forms and, and I, you know, there's lots of evidence of this. And one of the biggest is, is that, you know, I have friends and family that are affluent, that have lots and lots of assets, um, really what someone would call well-off millionaires, billionaires, right? But quite literally, they are enslaved. They are enslaved to their, not just their financial situation. They are also enslaved in the social status that comes with it. They do not have freedom. Matter of fact, there's this old saying that I believe it was Biggie, Biggie Smalls made popular um, in a song with P. Diddy, the more money, more problems. Okay. And that is the truth. The, the more money you're playing with, the bigger the problems are. And they're, they're no small thing to shake, you know, to, to shake a stick at. And, you know, I feel for my friends that are in those situations. And at the same time, uh, the, the most toxic thing in their lives isn't necessarily what they think it is. The most toxic thing in their lives that I'm seeing outside looking in is that because of the status and because of the finances, there are very few, if any, people in their lives that are truly honest and authentic. Everybody wants something, right? Can you imagine living a life where nobody... You couldn't trust if, why anybody is with you, why they want, why they're friends with you, why they want to be around you, because you know chances are they all want something. You know, how do how do you be vulnerable in that? How do you get a clear reflection of who you really are in that, right? Hmm? And this isn't just about you know wealthy people hanging around other wealthy people because they're in that 
that mindset too. Believe me, <laughs> it's, there's no safety and like-mindedness in, the, in that circle. And imagine if you piled on being rich and famous on top of that, right? Whew, that's a that's a doubly difficult recipe to to live a happy, find a happy life, create a happy life, right? Yeah, yeah. Beverly says, hence the messy Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. So there's the financial slavery. You can see the picture of that. That is, that's massive. So even if you have it, you're enslaved. And when you don't have it, you're enslaved. And there's the middle road where even if you're in the middle road, you're enslaved. Why? Because there's a lifestyle to upkeep and therefore you have to have a job. <laughs> you have to have a way of making, uh, making money so you can play the financial game so you can find your freedom within this enslavement system. Okay. So across the board, humanity, but the West especially is enslaved. Now there are those of us star shines, and I'm going to include myself in this, um, that have figured out the magic formula. Okay. And the magic formula is how do you do what's true to your soul? How do you do what is true to your purpose that lights you up every day and get paid for it, you know? <laughs> and there are many of us star seeds and indigos that are doing that and have done that, right? But it takes a willingness to really get out of the box. You, you know, we are free mentally, so we're able to figure something out, you know? And I've kind of always been in this vein. I've never really been trapped in the matrix as far as jobs go. Um, not that I didn't, you know, when I was younger, I did, I, I worked in, uh, um, as a consultant in a corporate world and I, I did that game, but for me, it was exploration. It was adventure. It's like, I was making a whole bunch of money at a really young age. Right. So I was just like, Oh, let's see what this is, you know? So it wasn't, I wasn't in the mindset of I'm punching a clock. I wasn't in that mindset at all because I was learning so much and I was excited about learning because for me, learning is a lifelong is a lifelong food that, that, you know, really, um, that enrichment for life. Right. So, so learning was a huge perk for me. Um, but you know, and there's others that are doing that and probably many of you are in that you're independent. You're a, um, what do you call that? A freelancer, right? You, you do what you want to do with the skill sets you have. And then you call most of the shots, right? And it takes a while to get, past that those rhythms of feast and famine and all that but eventually you know we find our stride and we do that so so the financial piece financial slavery now the next level and this one i got hooked into and it's been so painful throughout most of my life until recently i would say the past few years um i've woken up out of it but that is emotional slavery okay emotional slavery what do I mean by emotional slavery? Well, this, this has a lot, lot of facets to it. Um, one of them is, you know, people who are um, manipulated by guilt tripping, by shaming. Okay, you guys know that program, right? Um, and there's a lot of religions that use all of the above, right? To, to um, control people, to, to keep them in a certain bandwidth so they go to their whatever the God is that they need to go to for forgiveness or for upliftment or whatever, right? Um, across the board, uh, um, the, the Judaic Christian religions all leverage guilt and shame, right? But then there's also love, 
love is a major manipulation. Um, and I recently have found different words for this. And this is extorted extortion love. I don't mean distortion, extortion, people using love in an extortive kind of way. They extort you with love. That one, oof, that one really, really hurts because there's no unconditional love in those fields. It's like you're only loved if you do this. Um, you have to give me your love because I do that, right? There's all these silent agreements, silent negotiations, sometimes spoken negotiations, but usually it's suburb, it's, it's silence, it's subliminal. And love is extorted. You only get love if you this, this, and this. And even if you this, this, and this, if it's not good enough, right? <laughs> so, um, so emotional enslavement really hits hard for us empaths. This is why narcissists come into our lives a lot because we're extremely susceptible to that kind of manipulation. Why? Because we want people to be well. <laughs> you know, we want to know peace inside of ourselves and we can't know peace inside of ourselves until the people around us have peace, you know? So we have, you know, we have this, this really crazy game that we play with the collective. And usually that's because we were brought up in some way in an abusive situation, if not physically, maybe mentally or emotionally, spiritually. Okay. So there's that kind of enslavement. And then, and uh, dear Bob Marley uh, put his finger right on it in his uh, redemption song. There's mental slavery, right? Mental slavery is the prison that we keep inside of ourselves our thoughts, our mind thoughts, our, the way we, our brain is programmed, our synaptic patterning imprins, imprisons us. So how many people are in mental slavery? Everybody. This is why mindset coaches are so successful because, you know, they really just breaking a person out of their mental enslavement process can change their lives. They don't even need to have a spiritual slant. Okay, because we're, we're given these mental programs, conditionings from our upbringing, from society. I mean, it's at every angle, right? And then we become prisoners within our own mind thoughts. So mental slavery is a major facet here. And then we have spiritual slavery. This one may take a little bit more um, dialing into spiritual slavery. It is such a deep part of our baseline it's not even funny. It's, a, it's deeply, deeply embedded into the baseline of humanity. And I have to say, spiritual slavery is one of the ones that I really find triggering. And this is partially why I'm so confrontive in certain angles about spiritual leaders, religion, spiritual practices, and teachings. You know, uh, you know I'm, pretty, I'm pretty neutral about most things, right? Uh, or accepting, if not neutral. But when it comes to systems that hold people in a spiritual enslavement, that, that actually really, you know, mm, I'm going to, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to whack at that one, right? <laughs> which you guys have seen me do. I, I, I've taken some pretty hard whacks at some of the spiritual, um, uh, spiritual uh, uh, distortions out there. But really what spiritual slavery looks like it's taking advantage of one's innocence and devotion. It's taking advantage of a person's spiritual love for creator, for, I mean, you can even say Jesus, right? Because when I was a kid, intuitively, the Christ energy 
I loved that. I knew I loved, I knew I loved that energy, that energy. I really recognized and I loved that. And because I was brought up in a uh, more conservative Christian mindset, I thought that that was Jesus. So I would say how much I love Jesus. Okay. Because that's the only reference I had. It wasn't until I was like 11, 12 years old that I find out that there's other um, religious, spiritual practices in the world. And I can't tell you how relieved I was. I was like, when I found out that there was Buddhist monks and nuns and, and there were, you know, there's thousands and thousands of spiritual traditions and religions. I was so relieved that really set me free in a lot of ways inside. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm 11 years old and I find out for the first time there's something called Buddhism. And I was like, what? Oh yeah, you know, and then then indigenous indigenous um, beliefs, you know, the the red road as they call that. That too, that totally rocked my world. Oh my gosh, I was so relieved. I was so freaking relieved, <laughs> you know, because because um, it really, you know, I can intuitively sense this this spiritual narrowing that I was in. It was like my spiritual energy was the was taking getting taken advantage of. So the spiritual devotion, some of the things, the way it looks like is, you know. And these feelings of not being devoted enough, not giving enough devotion and enough prayer, being pious enough, being righteous enough, being pure enough. All those are part of spiritual manipulation. But then there's this undercurrent one that is so prevalent within the light worker world, within the spiritual world, within the religious world. And that is... If I give enough, if I serve pure enough with enough sincerity, then I will be blessed in my life. Who, who believed that one? Who was in that one? Right. Me too. I was in there and I had an experience where I was full on. I still am devoted, but in a completely different way. I was full on devoted to following the guidance and impulses from the Pachamama and great spirit at the time. That was how I addressed my spirituality. And I would, I would cliff dive as soon as I get the, get the hit, boom, I'm diving, I'm diving, I'm diving. And then I do a dive and the, and the dive was opening a Stargate. I had no idea about Stargate, Stargate me mechanics, anything like this, um, it was my first exposure to even what a Stargate was. And this was many, many, many years ago, um, 2006. And, uh, and I go and I do it, stick my finger in the spiritual lightning socket. And I, I'm okay. My, my kids were okay. But my travel companions and, and her kids, they were not okay. There was a terrible car crash. And people died including one of the children. And actually my friend also died several times, but she didn't, it didn't stick. She, after, I think she it was about six times that she died and then was in a coma for a while and then finally came out of it, came out of, out of it with significant brain damage anyway. So, but I, that was a huge crisis of faith for me. Cause I was just like, I can't serve more than I am. I'm giving everything I have. How can something like this happen? I'm giving everything I have. How can this happen? Right? Because I had this belief that if I serve in the purest, most sincerest way possible that I could muster, I would be blessed and protected. 
just sit with that. Do you believe that? And I hate to say, I hate to burst the bubble, but I'm doing this because I, I want to help you guys. I don't want you guys to go through, to have to go through it. If you have to go through it, you will. But if you don't have to go through it, you'll hear my message in this. That is a belief. That is a lie. That is a lie right there. That if you give everything you have and you sincerely devote everything in, the, in every way to your spiritual practice, that you will be blessed and protected. That is not true. Because, not because we don't get protection. We do. But the protection has more to do with us fulfilling our purpose. Us stepping into our authentic truth and living from that place. It doesn't mean circumstances won't be difficult. It doesn't mean life won't be hard. Okay. It means that we are anchored in our truth and are living our lives in extraordinary ways, extraordinary ways. And these words are going to take maybe a little while to sink in and start and make sense, but sit with what I'm talking about. I mean, I've been through the fire folks more than once because I'm kind of dense sometimes and <laughs> I needed that. Um, but please sit with what I'm talking about and see if any of these pieces ring true for you. And if they do, I invite you to open yourself to having a different relationship to spirit. Having a different relationship with spirit other than I do this for you, you do this for me. You know, that's a transactional thing. That's, that's actually very close in resonance to extortive love. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then we, of course, we have our physical enslavement, which you guys, pretty obvious, right? And then our sexual enslavement. And the sexual enslavement could closely go into physical, but um, sexual enslavement can mean other things too. Sexual enslavement could be, um, you know, you, because of the interdimensional interferences, never being able to have a frequency match on a sexual level or having a, um, a true um, ecstatic bliss experience, you know, having, having, getting the opportunity to heal, you have your, um, engage your sexual energy in a way that heals yourself and or your partner you know so there's a there's some other dynamics in there with the sexual enslavement in my personal opinion so so you want to go if you can just make this list financial emotional mental spiritual physical sexual and if more come to you expand on the list and then sit with this write out all the ways that you you don't feel fully free in these areas okay write out all the ways you don't feel fully free in these areas. A lot of times just having an awareness to these pieces is all we need to break free from them. Okay. A lot of times it's because we don't, we don't even notice, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much noise there. Things are going so fast. We just don't notice. But then once we do, we can choose to reorientate 
to these to these pieces. And one by one, as you reorientate and find your sovereignty, your will, your freedom in relationship to all these pieces, now you can take advantage, you can be that space holder, that one that holds deep peace inside of yourself. You are now autonomous in the kind of space you hold inside of yourself, that much more autonomous, right? And in that way, you influence the collective of your family, of your friends, of the larger community, okay? And you can and will have a massive ripple effect interdimensionally within these grids. You'll quite literally weaken these grids by just the potency of the space you're holding inside of yourself. That's how many veils have lifted, okay? Now, that's on the human realm, but this also means in nature too. This also means in those hyperdimensional places that you know in nature, in the mountains, in the forests, in the jungle, in the oceans, in you know sacred temples. You hold the space inside of yourself while you're in these places, a whole nother level of engagement is going to come forward. And these engagements, I'm telling you right now, from, from what I'm feeling, seeing, they are game changers. They open us up in such a way that it, it's joyful, it's ecstatic, it's blissful. There's gr so much gratitude and appreciation in those spaces. So we quite literally have oh, what some might call a religious experience by simply going into these spaces, holding a certain kind of space inside of ourselves. Okay. We bring blessings to ourselves and to all the beings around us. Just imagine the scenes of, do you remember Snow White? Just imagine the scenes of Snow White. Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, when she's in the forest and she's singing with the birds and she's, you know, just swirling around, enjoying nature, collecting her herbs. Okay. That is a true existence for us that's possible. Okay. Not that I'll ever sound as good as her <laughs> in her voice, in her singing voice. <laughs> so be realistic, right? I'm also kidding. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm making myself laugh here. All right, I'm going to go back to some of these comments and then, oh, look at that. It's one o'clock already. I'm going to have to wrap up. So uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. Let me go ahead and get to these comments and then we'll, we'll, we'll say our farewells, dear loved ones. All right, so let's see. Okay, so we have our enslavement meetings and then we have, oh, yeah, the mess in Hollywood. Oh, Laurel had some more to chime in about the Dalai Lama. She says, on that note, the Dalai Lama is the spiritual leader as well as the political leader. There's not much more needed to be said there. Okay, so politics is definitely intertwined with spirituality in this way. Now, you know, it, I, I know you go right to that. There's a lot to be said there. And I think I agree with that. Um, but I am having a, a back, a thought in the background. Just imagine... And this stems from my visit to Aksmal, which is the temple of the magician in, in the Maya land, which isn't Mayan at all, that, that temple, that complex. Anyway, um, and that is, 
imagine our political landscape it w- if it was informed by our spiritual truths, our cosmic nature. Imagine what our how the political realm would be if that were the case. I'm not saying that's the case here, right? I mean, for sure, political, spiritual, they, they definitely, um, the agenda of one is going to overtake the other. Absolutely. Right. So, um, um, I, so I, I, I feel you in there, but I, I'm, this is more of like an envisioning kind of thing. Like just imagine if all of, if our political leaders really had a sincere intent to, to truly caretake, to take care of humanity and the planet and nature. Just imagine if our leadership had that level of spiritual alignment with cosmic order. Wow, wow, wow. My whole body shifts when I think about that. All right, and then dear sister Beverly says, my parents are like that and I always call them out on it and it turns into a debate. Okay, she's referring to the devotion thing, the devout thing. If I am devout, then dot, 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 dot. If I'm a devout enough, dot, 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 dot. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting. And if I remember right, I think, was it your mom, one of your parents is Thai, maybe? Um, I remember I was really impressed by that in Thailand. But um, there is this other piece there that, you know, if you feed the elementals, if you, you know, honor and praise them and you sing to them and you offer them gifts, they do gift you back, right? <laughs> they do, which is, I, I feel like the premise behind why so many of the businesses and houses all have little, have altars outside of them in, in Thailand. Because, um, but what's happening is that the generations are forgetting how to feed the holy, how to feed the unseen. So those altars are happening less and less and less. Um, Cause the elemental realm, they're, they're real beings, guys, they're real, real beings. They have a very significant influence on the quality of our nature, our lives and, and, the, and how things grow and all this stuff. So anyway, I just, just wanted to add that into that. I right, do sister Beverly also goes, can we do this exercise in how, the space we hold. Yes. You know, well, we're going to be definitely doing it at that. Um, okay. So we're having a, a meeting with the elemental realm in a secret place. I can't tell you guys, um, but um, that is what we're going to be doing there. You're coming Beverly, aren't you? I hope so. And dear sister Laurel says, I love that. So she's talking about the, um, the space holding thing, I believe that I'm talking about. Okay, guys, I hope that uh, this all gave you plenty of food for thought and that you've come to a more liberated perspective in some of these pieces and perhaps found some place where you can sense where your truth compass is pointing. That would be wonderful. Um, if this video help was helpful, please make sure you like and subscribe and share it with somebody if you feel like they can be, be- they can benefit from this information. Uh, we do everything organically here. There's no paid advertisements or anything like that. So I'm never going to monetize this channel. Um, but uh, it does help us with the algorithms if you guys like and subscribe and comment on these videos. So I appreciate your support if you can do that. Um, right now, our um, Dreamtime Healing Project is open for new enrollments. You guys can check that out at lightbodyacademy.com. In the Dreamtime Healing Project, we quite literally go and um, utilize the frequencies, our ability to navigate the dream realm to, to do our part in the responsibility of dreaming our world into being. So it's extremely potent group 
um, made up of people from all over the world. And we do group dream shares and group dream tracking um, in our meetings. So if that sounds interesting to you, I encourage you guys to check that out. That's the Dreamtime Healing Project at LightBodyAcademy.com. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mwah. Love you so much. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.